Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is Brett Menard, and this is the podcast extension for the ROI show 494. Our guest today is David Bodanis, the author of the book, The Art of Fairness, The Power of Decency in a World Turned Mean. The history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. Ed, you get to start us off this time. Thanks, Brett. David, when you were researching this book, um, did you run across people in the long list that you that you had to start with, people who had who really did reach a, a point when they were in a certain amount of power, and just came to that stark fork in the road and just said, you know, as a matter of principle, I can't do this, and so. Many of them, and many of them probably suffered politically or from a power standpoint in that manner. But did you run across people like that? Oh, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, and often you find more about that in organizations that you know well. And I think the reason is many organizations have a certain attitude or ethos. Uh, the U.S. Marine Corps has an attitude. Um, uh, uh, the uh, police, the uh, fire department in different cities have different attitudes depending on them. Uh, different companies. Microsoft has a very different mood from uh, from certain banks, which has different moods from certain agricultural co- firms. So there's these big organizations that have moods. And if you join up, say, as a young person in your 20s, and you don't like it, you kind of, you know, you ask around, you look from side to side, and when you leave, you leave quietly, one by one, just by yourself, or maybe with, uh, with one or two uh, buddies. And the organization continues. So you often won't be noticed as the person who leaves. Uh, very occasionally, someone will rise up to be almost to the top and then slam the door and leave at that point. But that's very rare because in the course of rising up, you see what's going on. You see what the organization is basically like. <laughs> Sorry. You see what the organization is basically like. So if you if it wasn't agreeable, you would probably have found out uh, earlier on. And I guess the one person I can think of as an example in fairly recent times in this country is a, a man named Wendell Potter who rose uh, to a very high level in a health insurance company and then attended a uh, free dental clinic or a free health care clinic somewhere in West Virginia, and the light bulb came on. And since then, which I think this has been 15 years, but he's been become a very outspoken critic of the existing health care system in this country. Well, that's great. I mean, that uh, uh, um, uh, Isaac Asimov, who published over 400 books, once had something, uh, he has an anecdote which applies to that. So um, uh, he, he kept a professorship at Boston, I think it was Boston College Medical School. And even though he was a successful author in New York, he used to go in for faculty meetings. And one time he went there, and the, the, uh, the, the management was really treating the faculty really unfairly, adding extra hours and reducing their, uh, their pay and all sorts of stuff like that. And Asimov stood up for the faculty in the meeting. Um, and as he was leaving, one of the young faculty members who had a mortgage and kids with young kids couldn't do that. Said, Dr. Asimov, where did you get the guts to do that? How could you manage to stand up and do the right thing? And Asimov looked at him and said, two things, outside income. So sometimes when you're like young starting up, you would like to make a stand like, like Potter, but you can't, you don't even allow yourself to see the problem because you're, you're financially stuck. You know, you kind of have to do it. You have obligations to others. Uh, I really admire people like that who not just uh, leave in assault, but say, hey, Kay, how can we reform the system? Is there something that Canada's doing or Germany's doing which can allow us to have 
or that the, uh, for example, the U.S. military with the VA uh, hospitals, um, is there something that some organization is doing that I can copy or learn from, maybe not copy exactly, but learn from, to modify what I've been doing all these years? So good for him for saying, hey, we're a wealthy country. We've certainly we've configured it one way. There's lots of other ways of configuring things. Let's see what's, what might be uh, better and more just. Rick. David, uh, I uh, stumbled across the uh, summary of, of your book uh, in uh, The Economist magazine a few months ago, and it just hit a nerve because this is something that that uh, I and all my friends have been thinking and talking about uh, is the disintegration of decency in the, in, in the world. So what prompted you to, uh, motivated you to write this book to begin with? Um, I, I was struck that at a, a company like uh, Microsoft, um, uh, uh, after Steve Jobs, sorry, <laughs> after a different company, after Bill Gates uh, helped create uh, Microsoft, uh, it was taken over by uh, his number two, uh, uh, Steve Ballmer. And even Baumler's friends would say he had a foul, aggressive temper. Um, there's videos of him. You can go on YouTube and look for Baumler developers, where he runs around screaming about developers, developers. He, he's a big guy, and he used his size to intimidate people. There were court cases. There's one famous court case where somebody said they were leaving the company, and he threw a chair at the guy's head. The guy was uh, not just a software developer, but had nimble upper body strength and managed to uh, move to the side and, and avoid the chair. Uh, that's from court testimony. And so Bomber yelled and screamed, and he lowered the value of Microsoft because bright, creative people, they weren't going to work there. Was, Microsoft was then taken over by uh, uh, Satya Nadella, who terrifically has increased the value in the uh, decade or so that, uh, that he's been head. And Nadella, he, he's not perfect. It's a tough competitive field. But he really tries to listen, to bring in outsiders, to have a, a clear procedure so that people are brought along um, uh, to, yes, he audits, but he also gives, gives a lots of opportunities and chances. He listens without ego. Um, uh, he defends without over-defending, you know. So, yes, they have boundaries and borders. You know, big companies are always harassed, but they have lots of joint ventures and good stuff. And he's been terrifically rewarded with uh, an increase in the, uh, in the price. So I thought, how do people like that do it? How do, because we know that, as we were saying, you know, we don't know that simple Sunday school behavior in a hard business world famously doesn't get you far, but you have to be a jerk. And the idea that there's some people who can follow at least the ideals of Sunday school, uh, you know, combining that with street smarts and be a decent, fair person, that they can succeed, I love that. And I want to see how that happens. So one of the areas in my life where I struggle with decency and fairness is when I'm in a very high stress situation. And I imagine that this is true for most people. Uh, what insights did you gain on how people could uh, be in these very stressful situations and still uh, maintain their sense of fairness and decency? Because it's awful easy when no one's in your face yelling at you, uh, and mm -hmm. you, you've had a good night's sleep, to be fair. But any parent will tell you that, you know, if you haven't had enough sleep and uh, there's a toddler pulling on your leg, it's awful hard to uh, be fair. Totally, totally, totally. So uh, two things uh, uh, allow it to work, and none of these are brand new. These are probably old lessons from uh, the Bible or classical philosophy. One is to start on small scale. 
Um, so yeah, uh, woken up in the middle of the night, you know, saying it's only a saint who doesn't go, oh, for goodness sake. Um, but on the other hand, one can say, okay, deep breath. The kids are only young once. Um, you know, let me uh, reset. I'm going to go out of the room, shrug my shoulders, come back, and we're going to have a good time. You know, the memories that we create. So start with something reasonable. So not when you're exhausted at three in the morning, but you often get a little bit tired before dinner or you want the kids to go to bed and hurry up and you think, what am I doing? Come on, chill. So you can sometimes start with small levels and gradually work up. So that works well. Very few people uh, change their personality 180 degrees, but you can change five degrees. If you keep on changing five degrees every you know, little bit, it's kind of like exercise. It builds up on you. So that's one way, gradual improvement. Uh, and you need it both. You need the reminder of you know, what it's for. The other thing that works very well is the, uh, the ethos or the group around you. If you're in a company where people are getting away with really snivelly, obnoxious behavior, it's really hard to be different because you're always like, you're criticized, you don't get any positive feedback or support for doing a decent approach. It's really hard to stand out. But if you're in an organization where the people have, on the whole, stand by each other and will help each other, you know, they're not, they're, they're not entirely saints, but the, the, uh, the, the main mood is that. So a lot of airplane cockpits are like that. A lot of uh, military units are like that. Are like that. Good surgical teams are like that. Uh, creative teams are often like that. Um, there's some that are poisonous and attack each other, but others have this kind of welcoming, yeah, come on, you know, this is how we do it. Well, that helps bring out your best side. You see that others, and they'll, they'll give you little pointers. Hey, man, when I get really upset, whew, I take two deep breaths, or I know I'm going to be upset at a certain time, so I try not to interact uh, too much at that time, or whatever it is, all sorts of little pointers. So either start gradually or try to be in a setting where the whole mood is fairly positive. It makes it easier for you to join in. Yeah, there was an interview I was listening to recently with John Spencer, who was an instructor at West Point and just came out with a book on um, life leadership and social connections with modern soldiers. And he said that mm -hmm. um, one of the ways that you have soldiers not prevent atrocity, you have soldiers prevent atrocities is by establishing those strong group norms that in this unit, totally. we don't care what anybody else is doing. We don't cross that line. Yeah, that's not, that's not who we're like. There's an excellent book, which I discussed in the reading guide to the Art of Fairness. We end up having a long reading guide uh, that looks at three American units in, in Iraq, in the recent Iraq uh, fighting. And one of them did war crimes. And some people far away would say, well, soldiers under pressure, that's what soldiers do. But the neat thing is the two other units who are very similar officers, very similar soldiers, similar background, and also in the same intense settings, they didn't. And it was entirely for the reasons you said. The officers didn't just say these words. The officers demonstrated it and had people become habituated to a better action, which in the long term, of course, is much more effective. We would like to thank our guest for this 494th show, David Bodanis, the author of the book, The Art of Fairness, The Power of Decency in a World Turned Mean. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at tunein.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at soundcloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search and click on the first icon and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.